Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. In case it's your first time worshiping with us, whether here in person or online, my name is Joel, and I am one of the pastors here at Res City, and it is our second birthday. Uh, it is very exciting uh, that, that we've had, we've been blessed with two years as a church. Um, I, I, I get asked sometimes if, like, you know, if it feels like it's been two years, and I think my, my first thought is, I, this last year felt like five years, so I think it, it's felt way longer than that, but um, if, if you had told us we would go through as a church what we did this last year, I would have said, you know, let's save that for year 20, you know, Lord willing we get there, not maybe year two, but I think, um, and, and Julie was talking a lot about this, it, it's, it, it's, it's, not a, it's a really good thing, I think, for our church that we can look back at this year and, and really just celebrate what God has done um, Lecrae, a rapper he, who I follow on Instagram, he posted something recently, and the caption was just, uh, when we don't celebrate, we rob God of his glory. And I think that that is really profound, and it's one of the reasons why we love celebration here at Res City so much. It's not because we want to just be excited about ourselves and, and you know, look back at what we've done, um, and not that that's bad necessarily, but uh, we want to use it as a chance to sort of grow our appreciation and love and, and wonder at who God is. And celebration really helps us to do that. And so we think it's important to have that as a sort of normal rhythm as who we are as a church. So we, we talk about it a lot and we really want to try to do it well. And so today we're going to try to do it as well as we possibly can, um, you know, uh, uh, knowing the circumstances. So, so please, please hang out and celebrate with us, uh, whether you're here or uh, online with us this morning. All right, so we are starting a new series uh, today, and it's going to be going for, for the next few months. Um, and as you can see on the screen behind me, it is about wisdom. Now, have you ever Googled something? Have you ever, want, have you ever wanted to know something, and your first thought is, all well, just Google it? I'm sure you have that thought pretty much every day, right? That's how we learn everything nowadays, right, is we, we decide to Google it. But have you ever done that and you found afterwards, after kind of looking through some of the things that came up, that you're actually more confused than you were going into the question? Because there are just, there are so many things that pop up, right? There, there are so many different kind of maybe different uh, ideas or, or ways to solve the problem that you're hoping to solve that you actually find yourself like not knowing what to do even more so than you did beforehand. You feel afraid of doing it wrong because of something and you read an article or something. And it's actually true that there is an insane amount of information available to us nowadays. Um, this is from 2018, this, this information that I'm about to give you. So I would imagine it's actually um, considerably more than this. But in 2018, there were 2.5 quintillion bytes of data that were created every single day on the internet. Now, if you don't know what, how much quintillion is, which I didn't know, so I had to Google it, um, quintillion is a number that is a one followed by 18 zeros. Okay, just to put it in perspective, a quintillion is a lot. It's, it's a lot, okay? Just I'll, I'll put it in layman's terms for those of you who aren't good with numbers. Um, it would take you 47 million years to watch all of the videos online. Again, I think this is old information, so I would imagine it's more than that now. 
Um, we're just saturated with information. There's, there's way too much that we know what to do with it. And a lot of that information gets put, you know, in places like uh, on social media. That's where a lot of this is being created consistently. Um, and that's information that's coming to us a lot of times um, that is, you know, short and maybe out of context, right? Not super nuanced a lot of times. Making a point, giving us some f- information, but really not like a whole amount of it. So that's a way that we're, we're digesting a lot of information. And on top of all that, there's this thing called misinformation. There's information out there that is, you know, maybe intentionally uh, meant to deceive us or at least uh, kind of, you know, a half-truth or, or the truth plus something else that's trying to get us to feel a certain way. There's a lot of that out there. And there's been good research done that says lies travel across the Internet six times faster than the truth, right? So that should make you a little bit wary of, you know, if you just see something on social media automatically believing it maybe is not the best idea a lot of times, right? Um, and, and, and so, and it's not just on small stuff, right? It's not just on like your favorite cooking blog or something like that. This has to do with really important issues like um, faith, politics, health, social justice, all this different stuff that's out there in the world. We're inundated with information and it's hard to know which of it is good, how, what to do with the information, right? Because just, just having all this information doesn't really tell us anything about what we're supposed to do with it. And I actually think that's more important than just having the information, is having a good sense of what to do with it. Let me give you a couple examples here. First of all, um, in the, the documentary that came out on Netflix earlier this fall called The Social Dilemma, which we did, a, uh, we did a film and theology for as a church, one of the things that really stuck out to me is, is how these tech companies, they understand how our brains work really well. They have a lot of information on how to keep our attention, how to get, grab our attention if they don't have it, how to sort of keep us engaged. But just knowing what to do with our attention doesn't always give them a good sense of what to do with our attention, right? And so a lot of these companies, their jobs are to make money, and so they figure, let's just, you know, let's keep people's attention and keep getting ourselves, like, uh, you know, adding to our, our income. Um, but there is a lot of questions now about whether or not that's actually good for our brains, that we're so connected all the time, what that actually does to us, right? A lot of conversation about that right now. Or another example, let's say you're making a really big life decision, like you're thinking about taking a new job on. Um, you can gather a ton of information about the job, right? You can learn all about the company itself. You can research it online. You can reach out to people who work there or people who used to work there about their experiences. Um, and you can uh, learn a lot about yourself too, about your personality, about your skills, to try to figure how well would I fit into this new job. Um, would, would I actually do well in this job? Would I enjoy it? Right? So you can gather all this information, but none of that information is going to actually tell you what to do with it. Right? It's not going to actually say, yes, take the job, or no, don't take the job. You have to figure out what, how, to, how to take that information and make sense of it. Now, uh, typically, uh, we let our feelings sort of guide us in that, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think we should try to go uh, beyond that. Right? I think, and I think this is where this biblical concept of wisdom comes in, okay? Uh, wisdom is, is, is how the Bible tells us about what we should, how we should process information. And so I think in an information-saturated world that we live in, wisdom is, is very, a very important topic for us to study. Not just in, you know, in this world, in, in all, all societies that's true, right? Um, but Thankfully, the Bible tells us a lot about wisdom. There is, there is a lot in the Bible 
about wisdom. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take some time to really sit in and study wisdom for the next few months here as a church. Now, now typically, you find that there are three books that are kind of associated with wisdom in, in the Bible. Um, and, and so we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend four weeks each in each of these three books, and then we're gonna tack on another book at the end, which is sometimes considered part of what is called the wisdom literature, sometimes isn't, but we think it is still a, a helpful book to talk about and gives us a lot of wisdom. And those three books uh, are helpfully kind of put together in, in, a, in a Bible project video. I highly recommend this, this video or this series to you guys, um, but I really liked how they approached it, and so we're gonna kind of steal from them a little bit. So all credit to you, Bible Project. I know this is on YouTube now, um, so just giving credit to you guys. Um, but what they do is they kind of say these, these three wisdom books are like three voices, sort of giving us a, a lens or a perspective on this biblical idea of wisdom. And they sort of work together to give us a full kind of harmonized picture of that. So the first one is Proverbs, and this is one that you guys probably think of specifically as the book on wisdom, if you've heard about it before, or, or know your Old Testament well. Um, and Proverbs is like, think of her, think of it like, a, like, like her, wisdom is talked about as a, as, as, a, as a she in the book. So think of her as like a brilliant young teacher, sort of um, idealistic, eager to share her insight with us that is going to help us uh, to, to know what flourishing looks like. How do we seek out flourishing through having good wisdom? And she has a lot to say about a lot of different issues, and that's what the book of Proverbs is. The second book is the book of Ecclesiastes. So think of this as sort of like the sharp, middle-aged critic. Someone who's kind of been there, done that a little bit. He's had some time to think about uh, the wisdom that he's found in Proverbs, and he's, he's asking some hard questions about it for us, sort of pointing out some other information about the world that we have to think about as well beyond that. It's kind of a healthy maybe dose of reality to, to some, sometimes for us as we read the book of Proverbs. And then finally, the book of Job is this weathered old man, someone who has been there, he's done that, he has a lot of life experience, and he's able to kind of speak from that, not just sort of theory, and he kind of hones it down even more to help us sort of whittle down and make sense of everything that's kind of come before it. Um, and, and, and also specifically tells us what God has to say about um, all of this stuff too, very specifically as God speaks in that story. And then finally, what we'll do is we'll end this series with four sermons on the Song of Songs. We're going to talk about wisdom in uh, sex and relationships, okay? So that's kind of a preview of the, of the fall for us as a church. And I'm very excited for this, this series. I've been doing a lot of work on it the last uh, month or so, and I'm really, really, really jacked to get into it with you guys. So we're going to get started now. We're going to start with Proverbs, though, okay? So the first four weeks will be in Proverbs. Today, I want to talk about some sort of big picture, uh, sort of frame uh, what wisdom is, sort of help us to understand at a big picture what wisdom looks like. And then next week, we're going to get into a bit of a case study, the story of a guy named Solomon, who's the one who wrote the book of Proverbs. Then in the third sermon, we'll talk about specifically what are some characteristics of, of people who have taken on wisdom, who have learned wisdom, and who, who, who live it out in their lives. And finally, we'll end the series by asking, what are some characteristics of the foolish, of people that Proverbs say, if you do this, things aren't going to go too well for you. They would call it foolishness or something like that. So that's kind of a, a preview of, of the series in Proverbs here. So Proverbs starts out. Verses one to three, this is, this is how the book begins. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is, one, 
to teach people wisdom and discipline, help them to understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is, two, to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. So Proverbs wants to teach us wisdom and discipline, sort of a discipline that comes with taking in wisdom and using it well. And then secondly, to to teach us how to live lives that are disciplined, and also we find success. Proverbs talks a lot about how our wisdom can lead us to success, but also to help us to do what is right, just, and fair. So it's not just about sort of taking on wisdom so that we can gain a bunch of stuff, but it's so, sort of help us to live a life that is balanced, that is, it, it is just, it is right, it is fair towards other people too. There's a moral quality to it as well. Okay? So wisdom is about sort of getting stuff for ourselves that will hopefully find us flourish, but also about making us do it in such a way that is not, um, not in a bad way of doing that, but in a good way, a, a, a way that the Bible approves. All right? and, and Proverbs is a book not just meant for um, people who are you know, first-time wisdom seekers. They've been living their lives without it, and they want to learn a little bit about wisdom and just, you know, just, just, just you know, learn, you know, memorize a bunch of verses in there, and boom, good to go. Now I'm a wise person. One of the big ideas with wisdom is this sort of contemplation and search for it is a lifelong process. So even for people who maybe have read Proverbs before or who have a, feel like they have a good understanding or are thought of as wise, this sort of discipline of seeking out wisdom is something that we should continually go back to because we can always learn more about it. We can always go deeper. Now what I want to do today is I want to take from the book of Proverbs sort of five specific things that frame what wisdom is for us. They kind of set us at the right starting point so that we can continue on and read the book of Proverbs and also the rest of the books in the wisdom literature well with sort of the right pieces in place. So let's go through those. Now this will be the bulk of the sermon here is just walking through these five things that frame wisdom for us. So first of all, you can think of wisdom like it's gravity. All right? Now, think about what gravity is. Gravity is something that acts on us that we can't see, but we, but, but, so like, it will, it will do something to us whether or not we see it or believe it exists, right? It's something that's a, just a part of the world, and no matter how you choose to view gravity, it's going to have something to say about your daily life, right? No matter what you do. So, like, you can choose to act like gravity's not a thing because you can't see it, you know? Like, you don't see anything, you know, reaching out of the ground to, pull your, to keep your foot in place when you're just standing there, right? To keep you from, from floating up in the air. But we know it's something that's there because it acts on us. So, you can choose to pretend gravity's not there. You, you can jump off your house, Right? But gravity is going to say something about that, right? And it's probably going to say something like, hope you have a good health insurance plan, right? So wisdom is like that, all right? Wisdom, it it acts on us because it's woven into creation, just like gravity is, even though we don't see it. We can choose to believe it's not there, but that doesn't mean wisdom isn't going to act on us, okay? Uh, In Proverbs 3, 19 and 20, Solomon says, By wisdom the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, he created the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep fountains of the earth burst forth, and the dew settles beneath the night sky. Wisdom is like a principle of creation. It's like God's signature that he's written into creation itself that sort of governs how things go in the world. And and, and so if if we act in wisdom, we'll find flourishing. We'll have a, a consequence that will come with it as we sort of walk in line with it. But if we walk out of line with it, 
uh, wisdom is going to come and smack us in the face. That's what Proverbs is telling us here. Okay? So even if we're not aware, wisdom still is going to act on us. So the, the wise thing to do would be to have an awareness of it, right? To understand how wisdom works so that we can sort of, um, so, sort of align ourselves with it well. Right? So just a couple examples I'll read here of, of this where Proverbs talks about it. Proverbs 22.8, those who plant injustice will harvest disaster. So if you do this thing, you can expect this consequence to come from it. Another one, uh, Proverbs 22.24, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Again, if you act a certain way or do a certain thing, you can expect a certain consequence to come with us. In both of those instances, what you choose has a consequence, good or bad. You might not see it that way, but it is happening in the background. Wisdom and Proverbs wants to make sure we're aware of that. Now, unlike gravity, and I think this is important to point out now, even though we'll get into it a little bit more in the rest of the wisdom series, in Ecclesiastes and Job in particular, wisdom isn't it's not quite like gravity in that it's a natural law, right? It's not a math equation, all right? Uh, it's not a promise. It's not necessarily a guarantee either, all right? It's, it's more like planting a garden, okay? So I want you to think about it this way. Think about planting a garden. If you put in good techniques, right, you, you understand what makes a garden sort of flourish and grow well, you know how to water it, you know how to fertilize it, you know how to make sure no weeds are getting in there, you're keeping rabbits away from it or whatever, um, you can expect your garden should probably grow well, right? But that's not necessarily a guarantee either. There are things that are outside of your control when it comes to gardening, right? Sometimes you can't keep the rabbits out. Trust me, we tried all summer. We can't keep them out, right? They keep getting in there. They like to eat, they like to eat stuff. We even had some deer come in our yard this year, and it's like, we got to put really big fences up if you know, that's on the table now for us, right? Um, okay, there are things that are outside your control. You can't control how much it rains, right? You can't control how hot it's going to be that might kind of prevent or stunt the growth of, of um, your garden. And wisdom is like that too, right? There are things that are in our control that we can sort of put in and, and, and expect or, or believe that something good will come from it. But because things are outside of our control sometimes, um, we can't always expect it to work out exactly like we plan, all right? So expect the principle to be there, but don't expect it to be like a math equation. If I put two and two in there, I will always get four. Wisdom is not necessarily uh, telling us that. All right, now let's, let's move on to something that is important for the starting point of wisdom, all right? And, and this is an important part of the book of Proverbs and also pops up a lot in the other wisdom books that we're talking about too, all right? and, and two verses in particular in Proverbs sort of really set our hearts right as we enter into the book. First one is Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And Proverbs 9.10. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So what, what Solomon is saying here is that the starting point of wisdom is one place. It's not like Google Maps. You know how in Google Maps you can type in any destination and from wherever you're at or wherever you want to start, it'll tell you how to get there? Wisdom doesn't work like that. You have to be in the right starting place in order to get to wisdom. And that starting place uh, is called fear of the Lord. All right, so that's the third thing I wanted to get, uh, get, get across to you guys today is that wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. 
Some wisdom might start somewhere else, but it's a, it's a counterfeit wisdom, all right? It's, it, it's not gonna get you to where you wanna get to specifically, not the wisdom that Proverbs is talking about. Now, what, what do we mean by fear? I think it's important that we define what this is about. Fear is not necessarily terror before God, right? It, it, I think it can be a profound disturbance at times, right? I think it's okay for us to have a sense of like, holy crap, God is really big. <laughs> That's not a bad thing for us to have, okay? Um, but, but fear is not really terror. That's not the point that's getting across here. Fear is an awe. It's, it's sort of a reverence or a, res- a respect, a humility, a posture of humility that we have that says, you're God, I'm not, and I'm good with that. I can live with that, and, and I want to live with that. It's a feeling that, that something is beyond us, and we are sort of small when we compare ourselves to it, and we're willing to compare ourselves to it. That's what fear of the Lord is. Think, think about it like this. Here's another, another way to think about it. This is taken from uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, okay, I want you to imagine that in this next room right over here, I, what if I told you, like, I can see it through the curtain. There's a tiger in there, you guys. Okay? You'd probably feel a little bit of fear, right? But it would be a fear of, like, um, I'm not gonna go in there. That tiger might try to maul me or something, right? Like, you would be like, I only need to be afraid if I go in that room, right? Because I know generally how tigers work. I know that if you stay away from them, you'll probably be okay. I know the right answer is to call, well, I don't know who we would call if there was a tiger in the other room, but we would call somebody, right? We would get somebody out here, they would go in, they would get the tiger out, everything would be okay. So we have a fear of the tiger, but it's in a sort of like a, a fear that is only like really fully expressed if that tiger's on top of us trying to eat us, right? Okay, now, uh, imagine that I told you that there was a ghost in the other room or maybe, maybe a mighty spirit, something, something like that, right? You guys would still feel fear, but it would be a different kind of fear than if I told you there was a tiger in there, okay? And, and this is what C.S. Lewis says, no one is primarily afraid of what a ghost may do to them, but of the mere fact that it's a ghost, right? We're afraid of tigers because tigers can rip us to shreds. We're afraid of ghosts because we're like, what's a ghost, right? Like, wh- I don't even understand what would happen if I went in that room. Plus, I'm like, I know if the, we keep the doors shut, that tiger will stay in there. I don't even know if that's true of the ghost. Like, he could come in through the vents, right? Or maybe he could just go through the wall. We just don't understand ghosts very well, right? So, so there's this sort of sense, like a profound disturbance we might have. C.S. Lewis says, um, it, you would feel a certain wonder and shrinking, a sense of an inadequacy to cope with such a visitor and a sense of prostration before it, right? We, we wouldn't know what to do with it. That otherness or beyondness is sort of what makes us fear it because we don't really understand it. And God is like that too, okay? That's the kind of fear we're talking about when we talk about the fear of the Lord. It's a fear that tunes us with the one who wired the world with wisdom. And, it, and it, it's us saying we don't, we don't, we're not the ones who decide what wisdom is, right? Fear is about us putting God's agenda, his moral will, ahead of ours. Uh, when we say thy will be done, we're talking about how the fact that even if we don't always understand them, even if it's not the way we would have done it, God's will and his desires for us and his knowledge of how the world works takes priority over ours. And we have to posture ourselves uh, towards that or else we're not gonna experience wisdom. We're not gonna get the full wisdom if we're not willing to humble ourselves before a God that is entirely beyond us. 
Now, because of what this takes, you know, like what I'm talking about, this sort of fear of the Lord is not really intuitive to us as humans, right? And that's kind of always been our problem, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, our ancestors. The sin, uh, their sin was specifically that they wanted to have, they wanted to be God. They wanted to have the same claim as him on the world, to be its, its master, to sort of choose what is good and evil, what is wisdom, what to do with the world around us. Okay? But Proverbs is making clear to us that God is the one who has woven wisdom into his creation. We don't get to do that. Okay? We don't get to weave wisdom into creation. We don't get to sort of decide how gravity works. We can think we do, but we don't. And because God is the one who has done that, we're supposed to posture ourselves with, with humility before him, with this fear, this reverence, this awe. When we fear God, we're willing to put ourselves into proper alignment with the world and its creator and its king. That's what, that's what Proverbs is saying here. And when we don't do this, Proverbs says, okay, gravity is eventually gonna kick in here. Okay, example, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Or again, Proverbs 16, 25, there's a path before each person that seems right to them, but it ends in death, all right? So because of this, what we need to do in order to, to understand wisdom, to sort of enter into this wisdom literature, to understand good wisdom that the Bible's talking about, we have to cultivate a, a fear or a respect or a humility with the God of the universe. Now, we cultivate this with him by relationship. This is maybe something you, you maybe didn't think about, but it's actually a really important point. This fear that we're talking about is not supposed to be a fear that creates separation between us and God. That's not its designed intent. It can feel that way, right? If you hear the stuff I'm saying, you might think, you might think this is supposed to create a gap between you and God. But wisdom actually is, is supposed to cultivate a relationship with this God that we're called to be humble towards and to fear. Um, and Derek, Derek Kidner, is a, he's a, a, a scholar on, on the book of Proverbs. He says, the beginning, the beginning of wisdom is not merely a right method of thought, but a right relation, a worshiping submission to the God of the covenant who has revealed himself by name. Knowledge then, in its full sense, is a relationship dependent on revelation and inseparable from character. Okay, so if you take away nothing else from today's sermon, I actually, this is the one thing I want you to take away. If you want the wisdom of the one who wove it into creation itself, you have to posture yourself rightly towards him and seek him out by creating relationship. All right? And this fear, like I said, we'll continue to see this concept of fearing the Lord pop up in other books and other places as we move through this wisdom series. So it's really important, okay? You, we may want to skip this and get right to the do's and don'ts. You might want to get to the part that says, do this, do that, you'll flourish, you won't flourish. You might want to, I think we like to get to that stuff, right? If we were Google searching wisdom right now, we would go right to that stuff, okay? But I'm imploring you to, to take this part of it seriously, Okay? You can't have wisdom without this idea of fear of the Lord. Okay? So I want you to really grasp that as we, as we move forward in this series. Like I said, we will continue to, to see this pop up over and over again as we talk about wisdom. All right, fourth point, fourth point here is wisdom is a tree or a or fountain of life. It sort of starts with fear of the Lord and it continues on for us as a, as a tree or fountain of life. Okay? 
And, and this is a, 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 a word picture that gets brought up a lot in the book of Proverbs. It refers to wisdom or, this, or this, the stuff that, you're, that wisdom is imploring you to do is either a tree or, or a fountain of life. Now think about this from the perspective of an ancient Israelite. Ancient Israelite. You live in a, in a desert climate, all right? So there are no sinks, there are no water fountains, there are no water bottles that you can go to the store and buy. This is the reality that these people lived in. So when you hear about a sort of uh, a tree that is planted next to a river or a fountain of life in the middle of the desert, that's a really appealing thing to you because you know it's an oasis where I can find life itself. Away from water, I can't live. But if I'm next to this, this, this fountain that is continuously bubbling forth with life, I can feel secure in the knowledge that I will live. I won't have to worry about dying. And that's why wisdom gets called this a lot of times because what it is for us is it's a connection to life itself. Now, this, this analogy of, of a tree or fountain of life that Proverbs uses isn't one that Solomon just sort of makes up. It's actually one that we see throughout the story of the Bible as a really important um, uh, point uh, uh, of connection for the story as it, it's traced from beginning to end. So in the book of Genesis in chapter 2 and 3, this, this tree of life that appears in the middle of the garden, the garden that Adam and Eve have been put in and have been sort of called to life, we have this image of a, of a river that runs through it and a tree right in the center. And it's, it's the, 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 tree, the tree of life, this tree of immortality. Now when Adam and Eve choose to try to be God rather than fear him, they end up cutting themselves off from this tree. They get kicked out of the garden and there's access to this, this sort of fountain and tree of life has been cut off to us as humans. We no longer have access to this anymore. Now if you get to the end of the Bible or to other parts of the Bible that sort of project the vision for what God is going to do when this ultimate redemption or restoration of the world comes, we find that the, the river and the tree pop back up again. So in Ezekiel 47 and in Revelation 22, uh, the, the image, or sorry, Revelation 21, the imagery that we see is a similar one. And it's a sense for us that things have been restored, redeemed, and, and, and people have been given access again to this tree of life that was lost to them, this, this river of life that was lost to them. But in the now, what we're how we're supposed to make sense of all this is we're supposed to understand that as we follow wisdom, we are attaining, at least in some measure, the, the life of the garden. We are connecting ourselves to the life that we were cut off to when we, were, when we lost access to that garden. We are still partaking in that, in a sense. So wisdom has this really important role in the Bible of being the place that we go to, at least in some measure, get, get the sense of life that we lost in the garden back again. That's pretty cool, I think. It's pretty cool. What's not cool is that we still continue to reject God's wisdom by replaying this scene of Adam and Eve over and over and over again in our lives. Humans have been doing it throughout all of history, like a bad TikTok video that's just stuck on repeat over and over again, right? That's what we're doing when, when we're rejecting God, when we're choosing not to fear him, when we're trying to be like in Adam and Eve. We're, not, we're trying to make our own wisdom in the world. What we're doing ultimately is we're cutting ourselves off from life, even though it's been, been offered to us freely. And Proverbs is clear that this, this sort of death you know, cutting ourselves off from this tree of life, it, it, it comes to us. But it's not just a physical death, okay? Proverbs says it's, it's more than that. So example, Proverbs 5.23, he, this is the, the evil man, the foolish person, will die for lack of self-control, 
Okay, so die for lack of self-control, you might think, sure, he'll, he'll cease existing or no longer have life in him. But, uh, Solomon continues, he will be lost because of his great foolishness. Okay, so, so death in this verse is a sort of being lost, like not knowing where to go, not knowing, not knowing uh, uh, you have no Google Maps to help you out. You're just, can you imagine that, a world without Google Maps? Isn't that weird to imagine, um, right? That, that's, what, that's what Proverbs is talking about here, not knowing how to find the coordinates to get us back on the track for life. That's what it means to be cut off from it, and that's what death looks like here. And so, so when we cut ourselves off from wisdom, we are inviting death. That's what, that's what Proverbs is getting at. Okay? It's important for us to sort of have this understanding. And so this point of wisdom's observance gives us a measure of being in the garden and also a preview of redemption. I think that that's important and it sets up our last point in today's sermon that we get a preview of redemption itself. Remember I talked about how in the redeemed world there will be a tree and a, and a fountain running through it symbolizing that we're connected back to life again. Right? That's redemption but Wisdom is giving us a preview of that in the present as we connect ourselves to what God will ultimately do someday. And that all means that wisdom ends in Jesus. Okay, when we talk about redemption, we are talking specifically about Jesus here. And so there, there of course, has to be connection between Jesus and wisdom. And actually, the New Testament authors are very explicit about this point. It's not like the talking about wisdom is only found in a couple of books in the Old Testament. The New Testament authors talk about wisdom quite a bit, and they say things like this, 1 Corinthians 1.24, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God, and he's also the wisdom of God. Now, how is, how is Jesus the wisdom of God? What, what does that look like? Well, again, let, let's think about the story here. If we talk about wisdom as, as this thing that has been woven into creation that sort of helped or was, was with God, was present with God as he ordered the world itself, we also find statements about like that that are applied to Jesus. So example, Paul, the same guy who wrote 1 Corinthians here, verse 24 that we just read, also says in Colossians 1 that all things were created through Jesus. So that same role we talked about wisdom having in the Old Testament, we find Jesus has it, had it as well. And we see these starts, so ways in which Jesus and wisdom are sort of being brought together is the same thing. If God ordered the world according to his great wisdom, the gospel itself, the, the ultimate plan that God has been working in the world, it itself must also be made up of wisdom too, right? If that's what God does when he builds things, when he creates things, is he uses wisdom, then the gospel itself must also be filled with and the fullest revelation of his wisdom. And wisdom, when we seek it out, will ultimately lead us to Jesus himself. That's the big point that we're talking about here. The wisest thing we can do the way we can be best wired into creation itself is to trust his gospel and the one who enacts it. And we'll find ourselves, as we do this, properly fearing the Lord. As we submit ourselves to the King, Jesus, we will find ourselves walking in this wisdom. We will find ourselves respecting gravity. We will find ourselves understanding how to garden well. We'll find ourselves connected to the tree that is giving life. It's all a fulfillment of the wisdom that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job and Song of Songs are talking about. And as we cultivate that fear, we're called to have a relationship with Jesus too, right? Remember we talked about how wisdom is not just about uh, a fear that, um, you know, 
puts our minds right, but also invites us into a relationship with the God who has woven uh, wisdom into his world. We, do the, we are called to do that with Jesus. That is the way that we uh, fulfill wisdom now as Christians, is understanding that Jesus is the one around whom that wisdom is centered. Okay, so Proverbs and the other wisdom literature books are gonna help us to learn still deeper what God's Christ-like wisdom is. So buckle up. I am very excited for this. We're gonna keep going for the next few months. Um, and, and I'm gonna close in prayer here and we'll enter into uh, a time of worship. I'll give you a reflection question as well. But let me pray first. Lord, uh, we thank you that you have given us wisdom you have not left us in a world where we don't know what to do with everything around us, but you desired us to have wisdom to know how we can take, whether it's information or the life circumstances that we have, God, whatever it is that we have in front of us, you've given us wisdom to help us to make sense of that. And you've been clear with us about what that looks like and who it is, God. Help us as we work through this sermon series for the next uh, couple months to, to experience and understand wisdom deeper and deeper and deeper as we come to fear you more and more, as we come to understand what has been woven into creation itself, and as we um, uh, are connected to this tree and river of life that wisdom is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.